Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides, a family-run charter fishing fleet based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, or you're an avid angler that travels the world and you're looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, the Mass Bay Guides crew will do anything it takes to make sure you, your friends, and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, visit the Mass Bay Guides website at massbayguides.com. And for the latest reports, content, and other info, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at Mass Bay Guides. This episode is also brought to you by Deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you guys visit www.shopdeep.com, you can check out all the new apparel that they have coming out this spring. And if you use the promo code SEARSBRO, that's S-E-A-R-S, BRO20, you get 20% off your next order. We love these guys. Um, we've been friends with them for a while. Uh, what's cool about this company is, you know, some of the owners actually, they actually fish. They fish offshore. They fish the canyons. They giant tuna fish. They have a really, really good offshore program. So, you know, they're, they're making apparel and gear that, you know, truly does fit kind of the lifestyle and, and some of the requirements that we have in, in the offshore fishing world. On this episode of the podcast, we have the one and only Captain Greg Sears, the OG, old Greg. Finally got him on here for episode 10. Uh, Taylor and I sat down with him and had a pretty hysterical conversation, but also had some great words of wisdom come out of OG's mouth. So just to sum things up, if you don't know our our father... He's a one of a kind, truly kind of a renaissance man. He's done it all. He's taught himself how to do pretty much anything from building websites to running heavy machinery. The guy's pretty impressive. Um, so we had, finally had a chance to sit down and, and do a podcast episode with him. Uh, my mother and, and him have been uh, have been building a new house for the last eight to ten months, so He's been running the job, and they're cl- pretty much in the closing phases of it now. They're all moved in, but they're just finishing some finish work. So uh, we we did the podcast in uh, one of their new one of the new rooms in the house. So if you notice, it's a little echoey or anything like that. That's why. Um, but anyways, O Greg's is an incredible guy, incredible father. Um, he gives a, a great history and talks about his experience growing up in. Massachusetts and fishing on the North and South rivers. Uh, he was fortunate enough to kind of be a river rat like Taylor and I growing up. So he talks a little bit about how things have changed and evolved in our fisheries over the last 40, 50 years. He gets into a little bit about his, his time in the Coast Guard, uh, talks about some funny stories, some time on, on an icebreaker that he worked on in, in Kodiak, Alaska and elsewhere. And then he starts getting into the nitty gritty about running a family run charter business, what he's learned over the last 20 plus years of running that business and what he's just learned about running his own businesses in general. So I think everyone will, will take a lot away from this. If anything, if nothing else, you'll you'll take away a lot of laughs. We had uh, we had a great time. He tells some amazing charter stories. So definitely stick around to the end because it gets absolutely hysterical. Without further ado, we'd like to introduce our father, Captain O.G. Greg Sears. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. I've been recording this whole time, so I have some good gems to add in, <laughs> add in there in the beginning. Does it sound echoey? No. I'm, I'm using airplane $4 headphones. I can't really tell. But those things are so ghetto. I know. They work, though. All right. Do you guys supply food? I was going to bring a bag of chips so I could be like... 
time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're good. Uh, do you know what size packing's in that shaft? For the boat? Dude, you can't say <laughs> shit like that <laughs> without like actually like prefacing it with something. <laughs> You can't talk I mean, about, you know what size packing you can't in the shaft? You talk about shaft packing without talking about I'm thinking it's like quarter-inch packing. Dude. Oh, that's unbelievable. Ask your mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. I guess we should start this thing. Let's see what question, what question we want to kick off with. So basically the way that we do it is we shoot the shit, and what, we have a list of questions that we try to fold in as no, we're... Don't introduce me or anything like no, that? No, Brian do, will do that I'll after do that he later, adds so it don't even worry about that. Well, how do you do that later? How do I say... How <laughs> you... <laughs> you just said You that. want to introduce yourself? <laughs> Go for it. No. <laughs> you want to put him downstairs? He'll be fine. He'll be fine. He was barking... He was barking during the Frank Pitton one at the top of the staircase, and you can't even hear it in the mic, so I think we're good to go. But um, what's the first question? All right. Well, first thing we need to say is don't, you absolutely cannot tell all three rules of fishing That's in this podcast. Rules. What rules? What do you mean? Why, why can't I tell them that? Because it's part of like the, it's part of the suspense. The like we, we've episodes. only told two of them. And the third one we haven't told yet. And I don't think we'll have the first two. You can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Yeah. Always trust your instincts. Yeah. And the third one. Stay the f*** away from me. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> oh, all right. I guess, I guess one of the cool ones Taylor and I wanted to hear about, because we were talking about river fishing and, like, salmon in the river and, like, you grew up on the North River your whole life. Since you started fishing... What are some of the biggest changes you've noticed over the last 50 years? Like in what, our, what, in what our, it used to be like versus In our now. local fishery. Like what did you have 50 years ago when you were living well, in Marshfield so in the river? Well, people know, Noah wasn't invented until the late 70s. Prior to that, fisheries were all governed by their local people. You know, so, you know, depending on what went on in your area decided, like, you know, what kinds of bag limits and things like that that you can have. Yeah. And then in the late 70s, Noah took over and it's just been more, uh, you know, they take away more, you know, granted, I think a lot of it's good, you know, you got to save the fisheries, but, you know, they... I think a lot of times they're just trying to prove their worth of their job. So they're looking for things that may not necessarily be scientifically true, you know. But yeah, they're, they're, they're data crunching. They're not necessarily right. experiencing. You know, I've seen so many cycles in fish. Like, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, turn up tuna fishing slowing down. But, you know, in my life, I've seen it go from one or two fish in the whole season for the whole fleet to you know everybody getting one or two fish a day and then back to one or two fish for the whole fleet and so it's up and down and i don't think they always take that into consideration when they think about what's happening now right you know, i think it all cycles but uh you know for instance when i was a kid commercial striped bass fishing in the river we had a 16-inch limit, and that was it. There was no no amount we could had to keep, you know, couldn't keep to sell. It was 16 inches was what we could sell. Anything under that had to go back. It was that small. Yeah. Holy that's shit! That's insane. That's every. I never fish, knew basically. that. That's like us selling every fish we get. Yeah. You can sell 120 a day, 120 in a tide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what happened too, you know, but yeah. the price wasn't anything like it is now, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're lucky if you got 25 cents a pound or this was like an upgrade from being a paper boy back then. Yeah. Uh but uh, you know, just things like that uh I've seen probably bigger stripers in the last few years than I've seen my whole life as far as quantities. 
even back uh, when there were like a lot of 50 pound fish around or was it like really not that plentiful i don't think it was like three or four years ago we were you know if we didn't catch two or three 50 pounders in a day on a charter that was a bad day yeah you know so you know back then i you know i caught in 19 early 80s a uh, 55 pounder that you know got the state pin got you know all that stuff where you know the last four or five years has been you know world records now in the 80 pounds and things like that so yeah, it's crazy it's hard to really tell yeah. scientifically what goes on you know in my opinion i think all the fish cycle so as far as like your question of what's changed not much really i just think that the regulations have changed a lot what about, what about species inshore uh we used to catch a lot of cod and haddock off the beach in the winter time i haven't done that in years so i don't know what goes no on there that, now really. you know but you know years ago when we were kids we'd bring the trucks down the beach shine the water lights out into the water light a campfire throw some clams out and we'd all go home with a basket of cod you know so whether Dude, that, that happens in the winter now, I don't yeah. know. I mean, you hear it like you randomly know? every now and then. Someone right. catch like a rat codfish, you know, in the mouth of a river or whatever. But but people even try though. This was winter time when we used to do that. Yeah, that was like right off winter of what, like Hummer Rock Beach. Yeah, right down off of Hummer Rock. I think we should go like a lot of tomorrow. sea clams. Yeah. In there. I bet Hull would be a good spot too. Cause I mean, we're gonna probably clams. have to do that with the fucking coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, we need food. We're gonna have to <laughs> well, you can't eat them now, so yeah, that's true. Yeah. How about um, how about like? Didn't you catch pollock in the river? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we used to catch a lot of pollock in the river. That's weird because I've never caught a pollock. No, in the river. probably one of the only things I ever caught fly fishing. Was pollock. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, on uh, Damon's Point Bridge with little deceiver flies catching pollock. That's unreal. That's crazy. what's the whole salmon thing? Like, what was that all about when there was coho salmon? salmon they were breeding them and uh stocking them in the river they did it for about 10 years or so and then uh something happened with the uh hatchery uh i think it was the storm of 78 and it was cost them too much money to repair it so they let it go and for probably like two or three more years after that we had salmon coming in the river that was fun fishery all fly fishing light spin and tackle yeah that's really cool but it was all they jealous of that they never yeah. bred in the river so were they trying to get them to breed? yeah river? but yeah. it takes i guess you know years and years and years hmm. you know for them to like i forget what that is when they get the chemicals of the river in their brain to go back to the same place they'd come back yeah but they just didn't they didn't lay enough eggs or whatever was going on mm-hmm what about what about the tuna fishery? I mean, I know like the last twenty years, you've really we've really been fishing a lot. But you just talked a little bit about it while you're letting Riley out. But um, when I first fish fishery tuna fishing, I was in my late teens before I went in the Coast Guard fishing with Al Davis. And the well, the second year I fished with him, he caught eleven, and that was all hand line. And that was really good. So that's what I know about that. But then I went in the Coast Guard and I pretty much didn't fish for about eight, ten years. Yeah. How long were you in the Coast Guard again? Uh, I was actually in about almost six years. And uh, from 1978 to 1984. And you're in Kodiak. Kodiak, Situate. Those pretty much the two places i was on an icebreaker in kodiak and i was on Did small boat crew in situate yep really yeah our icebreaker broke uh mostly harbor ice like going in breaking out harbors channels places like gnome catch a can things like that we went up into the arctic one patrol we spent time in the bering strait and bering sea Went to Sakiklan Islands, which was right off of Russia. We were like one of the 
first armed boats to actually go there, but we broke down. Hmm. Uh, and by armed, you mean like you had one gun on the boat? Yeah, we had we had a <laughs> we had a forty five caliber, but nobody knew where the bullet was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the craziest thing that happened in, in Kodiak? Like any any cool stories or not stuff? Any good fishery stories? Yeah, or fishing stories. Uh, a lot of bar room stories. You know. <laughs> what about like busts? And a lot stuff? of fat Eskimos up there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Horny ones. <so. laughs> oh, <geez>. Horny Eskimos. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, what about that like that time you got like hypothermia and you're in the freezer up there? Yeah, that was a little I interesting. All about this. Yeah. yeah. So what happened? Uh, we boarded a Korean fishing boat that had illegal halibut on board and we had to uh dig through their freezers to measure the holds and measure the weight of the, what they had in their holds like as you're digging through the freezer you're bringing out these blocks of fish you weigh the blocks and you get an average and then you measure the freezer out and you figure out how much could fit in there anyway i'd spend a lot of time in this freezer digging through and next thing we know the two of us that were in there were going snow blind like we actually like our vision was going like you were away. just like whiting out like your yeah vision no was... i was blacking out oh, like really? everything got dull and then uh when we came out we realized wow we actually are like being frozen and then you know <laughs> <laughs> you know that feeling you get when your hands are real cold and you're warming up and it's like yeah. painful yeah our whole bodies felt like that. Jesus. They ended up taking us to the hospital and, uh, you know, going through, like, the, all the protocol for hypothermia. And uh, I honestly believe my back is still screwed up from that. Really? Just all, like, the clenching of all your muscles and everything? And I think it, like, did something when I, we were laying on our backs, like, digging through the ice, getting huh. the blocks out. But, uh, like, ever since then, I never... I had, started having back problems you might have been using your so back. at the coast guard if you listen to that i i should get money <laughs> uh, how long were you there again uh almost four years in kodiak and a little over two and a half years in situate almost three and then you like hop skip to like japan and like pretty much did yeah the- we went uh icebreaker that i was on we did uh what they call the Pacific Rim, a patrol with, uh, back then they were, we were kind of following around the tall ships to the different places they were going. And uh, did the Pacific Rim, spent uh, nine days in Japan on leave, had fun doing that. And uh, a lot of people think they won't travel in the Coast Guard, but I traveled a lot. I got to see a lot of places. Went across country a few times. Yeah, that's cool. Shell-backed. You and Taylor are both shell-backed, yep. right? Crossed I've actually Atlantic. crossed uh, the Antarctic, the Arctic, the primary meridian, and the equator. So between uh, all of us, we've done every... Because I've, Atla- I've traveled the Atlantic and gone through the Straits of Gibraltar. Yeah, so you've crossed this prime meridian yeah Uh, you also get them for the tropic of cancer the tropic of capricorn yeah uh, which we did when we went south to antarctic and then came back north Hmm. but uh basically we circumference the pacific ocean that's sick this is cool any uh any fishing stories from the coast guard wasn't there one where you like hooked a blue marlin, like traveling from one place? That to was another? pretty funny. <laughs> we had uh, like boat rods on the boat for like bottom fishing and like stuff like that. Yeah. What size? What size so we were leaving this? Hawaii. I was on the icebreaker. Yep. It did about eight knots. It's perfect. So we're leaving Hawaii, and <laughs> that's, we, that's grander speed off me, Hawaii. Me and another kid uh, decided we were going to try trolling for something, so we. Had this big Google Eyes, wooden Google Eye, you know, Gibbs plug. And we rigged up a reel with about, I don't know, 100 feet of, <laughs> like, 400-pound test. 
and uh, bungee cord and the whole bit, you know, because we used to hand line with bungee cords up off the back of the ship too. And uh, we sat down, and, like literally five minutes into it, all of a sudden the thing just snapped, and we look out and we could see this, I mean, monstrous marlin just cruising. You could see our orange line coming out of it, you know. So we knew we hooked them, but <laughs> that was uh, pretty psycho, though. That was. Like both of us just were in shock that we hooked something like. Was that. it just like you two that saw it too? Like no one would believe you, or did other people see it? I can't remember if anybody else did, but it, basically, I just remember me and Franny freaking <laughs> freaking out over it. That's unreal. Know? What uh? So I mean, you're like a renaissance man. You basically have done anything from building high rises <laughs> to building petitions and bathrooms to friggin' installing theater rooms, the Coast Guard. What, how the hell did all of a sudden you come full circle and get back into, or get into charter fishing? Like, what made you want to start it? Boredom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm one of those guys, like, you know, like you said, I'm hands-on. You know, I've pretty much at some point I mean, you got your you had your pilot's license. All right. Well, first of all, <laughs> you could go on forever of all the shit. For my education, I have no plans. education. <laughs> I have basically zero education in whatever education Edu- they have. Edu- education. education, yeah, <laughs> But they, uh, you know, I was always smarter than the teachers, so I knew more than them anyway. So I, don't know, I decided young that money was more important and went to work for the old man without even finishing school, and then. Uh, I went into the coat when I went in the Coast Guard. I didn't realize you couldn't get in without a high school education, so they actually gave me my GED right there and then in the recruiting station. And, like just uh, sign the paper. Here you go. I had to take a test. Oh yeah, but yeah. I passed it. Yeah. Without any teachers telling me how to pass it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just always have furthered my education with other things other than kind of like you guys going to Mass Maritime. Yeah. You know, you you get your licenses to do things. I always thought that my education was it was more important to work towards a goal to get a license rather than A squared B just squared equals C squared yeah, which just to learn, right? You know, it's yeah. So I enjoyed doing things like like you said I got my pilot's license, I got my boat captain's license, I got my uh construction mass construction supervisor's license with higher upgrades to it so I could work in the city and do big jobs. Uh, I did, uh, you know, again, it's like I just, I like operating my, you know, I can scuba dive, I can operate heavy equipment. Uh, I've just gotten all those licenses and enjoyed learning how to work and I like artistic type things so building just kind of fits together. It's also very self-sustaining. Like, Everything that you've done, you don't really re- need to rely on anybody. Like, I've hardly ever worked for anybody else other yeah. than the Coast Guard. And then when I first got out of the Coast Guard, as when I was an apprenticeship in the union, I worked for other people. But other than that, yeah. I've always made been my own demise and thought I've got fairly successful. And I guess the goal is to keep what you got. Yeah. And so I've been doing that. I think the I think the biggest takeaway from that whole thing is like you built a solid base before like turning the key on like your true passion project job. What like know? charter fishing? Yeah. Yeah, over the years, you know, I mean I started out with a uh OUVP license when I was younger and did charter uh, uh dive charters and stuff for South Shore divers and then uh when uh I don't think I even know that. I didn't know that either. You guys weren't even born. You used to do it out of Mickey Dad's boat. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the lobster boat. Were they they like four-day trips to the North River? (laughs) (laughs) No, No, but we'd have to leave at 2 a.m. to get four miles out by (laughs) 9. Only on the outgoing tide. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that was a good boat to learn on, though. That was like driving a ship. If you could drive drive that thing, you could drive anything. This boat honestly had like a 100-yard turn. It had a 6-inch prop and like a 12-inch rudder. And the thing was in the shape of a circle. (laughs) You turn and it just went sideways and kept drifting sideways. That was definitely like a massive 
help learning how to run a boat. Trying to get that thing on and off the lift down in Florida. Horrendous. Especially in the canal when we had it there. Like, at least when it was... We went sail fishing in that thing. We were actually sail fishing. Yeah, we were trolling, we were trolling in the bay of Tampa. I still swear to God we had one coming up after too. it. You know, we just didn't know what we were doing. But I, I remember distinctly seeing this bill freaking chasing our crap. Oh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> chasing our crap. <laughs> uh, so ba- back on track. So you've done all these things. How? So tell us about how you started Mass Bay Guides and... And kind of your approach to the whole thing in the beginning. I remember Taylor and I being like, "We need a, we need to get a bigger boat. We can charter. We can do this." And I just remember you being, for like five years, you were saying, "Be patient. Be patient. It'll happen. It'll happen." And then it felt like forever. It felt like forever right. when you're a little kid. It was probably like six weeks as an adult <laughs> now, but sure as shit, it all came together. Well, I think it's just like fishing. You got to be patient with your business. You know, these people that go out and invest multi-million dollars before they've even sold a piece of product they're just already making themselves ready to fail yeah you know so you know you have to develop a business develop a clientele you you know again like i said we started out honestly we had the grady and i did striper trips and then we had i couldn't do offshore stuff and then six passengers so you know i started working for other people learning the trade, learning what goes on, learning how to get the charters. Uh, We got lucky with internet, uh, realizing very early in the internet that we needed to be on the internet and got ahead of the game in that respect. And uh, another thing you taught yourself how to do. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. All the web hacking that you pretty much figured out. OG to OG teaches the internet. That's <laughs> yeah. a fucking book. <laughs> there again, you know, uh, when I don't know how something works, I get you don't stop till you figure OCD it out. until I know how it works. Yeah. And when it came to computers and the internet, and you know, I was our construction company. We were in the. Uh, you know, high-tech industry with construction, building the rooms for computers that, you know, back in the day, they'd spend three, four million dollars on a room that a computer only had like 64 megabytes of memory, where today you're... You're buying five terabyte thumb drives. Yeah. I mean, my underwear has more memory than the computer. (laughs) (laughs) I can prove it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so, again, like that kind of got me interested in that. The first thing I did was I wanted to learn how a computer works. So I started, we started building our own computers out of junk and learning how to network and learning about the Internet and registering URLs for 40 hours a week until I felt like I had every dot-com in the fishing industry wrapped up. Yeah. And then failed to realize that I should have been going after abc.com, nbc.com, yeah, and all exactly. those and making millions like some of these other guys were. But, uh, yeah, so the Internet's important. Uh, social media, now you guys have taught me that's important, uh, especially to keep your customers coming back. Uh, the key, though, to developing and why it took so long is First of all, I wasn't going to go buy a big boat if the big boat wasn't going to pay for itself. So it took me a few years to get enough clientele together to make sure that the first season we were in the water, we had enough to at least pay our expenses. And at the same time, we were doing other things on the side to make money to live. Yeah. Because of myself and you guys and the way we treat customers and your mother, the way she handles customers, the customer's always right, we do everything for the customer, and that kind of attitude, people like that. Yeah. So they start coming back, they recommend you, and over time you get to a point where you don't even have to worry about advertising anymore, you got enough work for you. But in the scheme of that too, we weren't gonna turn down anybody, so we hire a lot of the guys in the area and we give them charters and we try to work with everybody and we keep a fair price and 
uh, it just all worked out. We got lucky, you know. And what's What's one thing that you know now, being Mass Bay guys have been around for over 20 years, what's one thing that you know now that you wish you knew 20 years ago in regards to, like, specifically running a charter business? I mean, you've been do running your own businesses for so long that you, you know, <clears throat> I can imagine there's probably not a whole lot new there, but anything specific to charter fishing that's new? Can you repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you wish you, you knew before you started Mass Bay Guys? That you know now. That you know now. <clears throat> could be money related, could be uh, what you carry on the boat, could be... Brian's going to core is freshy. Core's latte. Nice stump you, dude. Maybe we need to come back. We can come back to it. <laughs> come back to that one. That's a good one, though. <laughs> <laughs> that, has, that has to get cut out. <laughs> you should beat that out. I will beat oh, that out. Actually, that'll be funny. That will be funny. What about you? I mean, maybe it's easier for us to say it, and then maybe he can jump on. You know? Oh. I think I think we've come a long way with gear. Yeah, you know I think uh, we always used to push him for this crazy high end gear all the time when he first started, and it was you know we want the newest of the new, and we built a lot of our own gear because of that. But when it came to like rods and reels and like the basics, he always made sure that like the stuff would last and it was commercial grade. Yeah, it was smart, and it wasn't like the pretty, you know, the pretty Saint Croix and like. The stuff that just doesn't last up here, ground yeah. fishing and striper fishing with all heavy leads and big lures. And, you know, I think that's one thing that he definitely pushed more of than we did. That uh, I think. Use what you got. That I've learned now, and I think you probably learned now, that, uh, you know, we didn't know before. You don't need a, you don't need you don't a need lot, lot to be shed. good. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> it's just time and instincts you know but just for instance those back to rule one you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water right. if your hook's broken you're you know screwed. when we first started tuna fishing trying to catch schoolies and stuff uh <laughs> yeah we were fishing with like 113s right. and striper rods just yeah. because they were there and it's what we had right you know it's like the and guys were going out and spending 10 grand on rods of and you remember then too like you know when we used to fish with teddy uh you know the odds of you catching a fish in the summer during that time period was slim. Yeah. Slim. I don't care who you were. We just, you know, uh, the best guys were catching two, three, four fish a year. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, so it wasn't worth it then either, you know? I'm a fairly conservative, but you know how I am. I yeah. Don't buy it until I need it. Yeah. You know, and otherwise I'll make do with what I have until, you know, I can make money from it and buy it. You know, I mean that's a good point. I mean, you it don't, goes right that with the boat. You're I mean, probably not going to catch a lot with six odd senators and Rapalas and umbrella umbre umbrella rigs, right. but you're going to be out there spending the time and you're going to be learning a lot. I was just going to say to you, if it wasn't for that kind of an attitude back then, I don't think you guys would have learned what you know now. Because yeah. you would have just hand been handed something, exactly. and not know why you had were handed that. Yeah. So when you start with crap and you figure out, you know, what's crap and what's not crap, you're better off that way, you know. Yeah. And that's why people I mean, this, hire this you guys. You can't cheap out on like line, for instance. You know, you can't like cheap out on line. You can't cheap out on. But you can though. I mean, I you can, but I could name 15 people that go out there with. 10-year-old line and catch fish and 20-year-old rods and catch yeah, fish. Yeah. And, but they're also smart you know, about when they fish, you know, yeah. if they're going to do it. Yeah, either that or they're hiring, hiding in the mooring field waiting for me to leave in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, it's a, you can do it. You, and I'm, I'm not going to try to tell everybody they got to go buy thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment to try tuna fishing. They're going to learn for themselves that... You know, yeah, I can hook them, I can get there, I can be there, I can be part of the fleet, I can, you know, learn from my mistakes. Yeah. 
but in the main, I mean, I story we had a customer that uh, came here for uh, wanted a guide trip, and uh, he was from Dorchester in Boston, mm-hmm. and he, uh, I didn't have the time, so we had Corey go out with him. I remember this. And the guy had a Penn Senator with like 600 pound test on it. <laughs> like literally like 50 feet of it. And Didn't they get like a 75 inch or something? Yeah. And they caught a giant tuna. Right. And the guy was so excited he didn't want to cut up or anything and he strapped it to the roof of his car and drove back to Dorchester <laughs> with the trailer and the boat. You know, uh, so, you know, again, it's like you never say never yeah you know but your odds are better the better the equipment you get mm-hmm. but you also over those time periods learn like where to position yourself how to position yourself i crack up at you know how many people come out and drop their anchor on the spot yeah and then wonder why they're not sitting on the spot 20 minutes later exactly you know cuz they forgot that their anchor line was 700 feet long and <laughs> yeah. you know or they anchored on slack and didn't realize that it's switching to the other tide and they're in you know yeah they're going the wrong way or whatever you know so i guess one i just thought of the thing that i wish i had knew, known like 20 that years was ago. honestly what i just said was just something that just came up top of my head not 20 years, really not 20 years ago i'll say 10 years ago i wish i had learned to just like accept what we're doing for the day and just embrace it because that's when crazy shit happens just be patient you well you mean like when you were little and used to call your mother and tell her <laughs> i wouldn't take you home <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? that's it perfect yeah example. zero patience <laughs> that's a, yeah i mean patience is obviously the common denominator there but like i have you know you get patience. you get frustrated like for instance perfect example we already told this story but like you and I, the tuna bite was like sick at the bank and we had a six hour inshore and we're both looking at each other like this kind of sucks because we want to be tuna fishing, but it we had ter- a sick inshore. We day. had a sick inshore day and we hooked the tuna, we hooked the tuna inshore. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like just, if you just kind of let it ride and as long as you're spending the time out there, that's a Jason, Jason stock. stock. If you let it, if you let it ride, sometimes it's the the best days you're gonna have on the water. Just relaxing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're just getting into that stage of life. Hey, <laughs> I bring good balance to the uh, the team with my intensity. That's Jason cool. Stock's a mean prick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, I can't wait till he's on this thing. He almost was on it, except our Corona. Yeah, the Corona kept the nine Coronas from happening. What's uh what's your favorite fishery that we have here? That we have here? Yeah. Uh, here. If you were to catch uh, one only one fish here for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mola mola. <laughs> <laughs> They're just so big. They're like baby whales. <laughs> baby whales. Yeah. No, uh, I don't know. I've caught I'm still looking for a carcaridon megalodon. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure if it exists, it some swims by here once in a while. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes down to something <laughs> I'm really looking forward to, it's battling Carcarino and Megalodon. You know? He's, he's going to be waiting a while. <laughs> I know what he's saying. Speaking though. of seeing weird things, you know, like it's, tell it's, us the swordfish story. Swordfish story? Yeah. Yeah, people like don't realize that swordfish just swim around here on the surface like nothing. <laughs> You know, I was out shark fishing one day, and here comes a. What, what uh, was one day like two? Was it three years ago? Three years. Somewhere around there, two or three ago. years ago. Three years ago. And uh, Bobby D was mating, and we had a shark slick going, and we looked out, and there's a fin coming down the shark slick that looked a little funny, and we're both looking out like, what is that? And at the same time, we both realized it was a swordfish swimming down the shark slick. Like a legit swordfish. Legit swordfish. We, so we picked up. I got up on the bow. Bobby handed me the harpoon. I get up next to it. it the thing's like a four or 500 pounder, like <laughs> 12 feet long. Oh, you know? my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm standing up on the bow, but ready to stick it. And uh, Bobby's screaming. He, he actually was so, like, excited. He had both his hands and his feet were on the windshield at the same time. <laughs> 
nah. So I took a shot, absolute, like, total choke, grazed the fish, and it took off. And then we realized we had the harpoon line pass through our outrigger lines, and that probably would have been a complete shit show. Bobby started screaming and yelling at me. He's like, you know, I told him, I go, you can throw it next time. He's like, next time? He's like, I've been out here 50 years. That's the first time I've seen that. <laughs> so true. Uh, but I uh, know they randomly swim through here. That's couple guys caught yeah. in the last few years on raw and real tuna fishing. Yeah, one off yeah. of Southern Jefferies. And... I mean, we used to have a situation. We used to have a big swordfish fleet. I mean, they were all long liners and went out in deep water. But, you know, when I was a kid, there were half a dozen swordfish boats in Situate Harbor. That's so yeah. badass. Yeah. Yeah. There again, I, I, when it comes back to, like, changes since we started, I'm going to have to say the commercial fleet has completely disappeared compared to when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, you used to go out to Tar Pouch and then be a dragger out there. Yeah. You know, nowadays it's, you know, there again, it goes to restrictions, but, you know, you're not, there's not a million commercial boats out there dragging like they Even used to be. seven years ago with the, like, fishing the draggers in the bay, like, we haven't seen that in the last... Yeah, well, all those guys lost yeah. their cod and, you yeah. know... That was their money-making stuff, you know, so the butterfish and whiting, just that was something they supplemented themselves. Now, you know, not really a living in that. There's a few guys out of the inside of the Cape that do that, but they, they're doing that. They're also scalloping, you know. So, you know, we lost that big dragger fleet in the fall that, where we used to have that chunk bite, yeah. you know. And uh, those are the kind of things that... Uh, we don't get anymore where in that particular case the commercial fleet attracted the fish yeah you know but that uh, was such a savage bite that was savage i love that type of fishing what else we got on our list of well another another thing that he's probably not going to want to divulge but he's thought we were talking about draggers and catching tuna in the draggers and other methods so like what's your favorite What's your favorite spot on Stowagon to fish for tunas? Sarah's hole. <laughs> Seriously? Does, does he need to move that closer? Yeah, move that a little bit closer. I said Sarah's hole. <laughs> <laughs> so Southeast Corner, north of Southeast Corner. Yeah, that's like definitely my favorite spot. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he has no favorite spot. He just no. As you guys know, favorite, what's like the place that you've had like? The if most you were to pick, at? if you were to have no information at all, zero information, you didn't know where bait was. We weren't ground fishing in the spring and going out and kind of seeing where the herring's setting up. And if you had to pick one spot to start, where would you pick? In like July, let's call it like mid July. I'd probably look for boats. I don't know. I really, without any information, you know, I'm probably not going to go far. Yeah. So I'd probably say the, you know, Stony Bar or the Western Edge or, you know, I'd probably troll. Yeah. I wouldn't even sit in one spot if I didn't know what was going on. I'd probably troll and go figure it out. Yeah. You know? So that's basically everyone listening that fishes in June. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Everybody going out that may have heard of a few rumors should be dropping the outriggers. Where's yeah. Your- I mean, cover water if you don't know what's going on. You yeah. Know? Uh, At least figure it out. What about favorite spot? Like your favorite, like you've had awesome luck. Favorite spot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Asking a guy that's out there 185 days a year, it's a pretty tough call to make. The bank. Yeah. You know? I mean, all I can say is the bank. I mean, if, if anyone's ever even done any trolling, if you leave it, five o'clock in the morning and start trolling out there at seven, you can go around the entire bank by three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, and when it comes to a spot, I guess. 
the bank. There's a 21 by eight mile spot out there that yeah. is a good place to look. That's such he's, a good He's point. being so you know? specific. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point, though. A lot of people <laughs> don't think of that. It's like you really don't know what's going on. You can cover right. the bank. Instead of wasting your day and sitting there staring at balloons, waste your day sitting there staring and at figuring out what's going on. Right. Trying to find life. The, uh, like I said, too, we've been out in that bank so much that. You know, if I don't know what's going on at this point, then we got to go find them, you know. Yeah. And we've had many, many days where we don't know what's going on and we're the first one to catch a fish in the air. You know, when we used to run our first fish contest there, Yeah. I know it seemed like cheating, but we used to catch the first fish quite often, you yeah. know. And a lot of guys still say to today, they're not going tuna fishing until they know I caught one. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we've talked about favorite fisheries. Didn't get an answer there. <laughs> we talked about one thing that you wish you had known 20 years ago. Didn't get an answer. Didn't get an answer there. <laughs> well, if you'd you asked me what I had known 40 years ago, it would have had something to do with women. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm sure. Actually, I have a good one that ties into uh, the kid one that we did with Frank a little while ago. What was your general like approach to getting Taylor and I into fishing? I'm curious to see how my approach. Yeah like, yeah, like how did you how did you handle it? Like how? Like, well, when you were little, I made you come with me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a babysitting thing. Yeah, and I did it so much that you guys just naturally fell into it. Yeah, you know, and you know, living next to the river, and you know, I didn't have to plan on it or force you guys or it just happened and i didn't yeah. you know you're a perfect example of it taylor wanted to hang on to my shirt tails every time i went and you did if we didn't catch a fish in two minutes when you were little you <laughs> wanted the hell out of there that's true you know definitely well, more patient now, i think it, it was still when he was like sophomore junior in college yeah i mean everyone i everyone, think the biggest thing you know <laughs> You can't force you can't force your kids to like what you like. Fishing is such a cool thing though that it's not hard for kids to like it. You know, and the fact that you've got to experience some of the best fishery in the world as young kids, you it's just pretty much obvious. And it's there's no question it's in our genes. Yeah. You know, I mean you know it goes back too. hundreds of years through our relatives and even though we don't know them or didn't fish with them or anything i honestly know for a fact that you know in the early 1700s and stuff our relatives were fishing the same spots we fish now yeah you know so it's kind of cool to think of it that way and like i said i think it just comes in your genes yeah you know but if you would never like skiing when you guys were little you skied you got good because we did it a lot and you liked it because you were good. Yeah. You know, if you sucked at skiing and broke your leg the first time you went, you'd probably never go again. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like, don't, for anything, I mean, fishing specifically, like, don't set your kids up for failure. It's like, bring them, bring them in the river or go catch sunfish or do whatever you need to yeah. do. I mean, I, I don't remember which one of you was the first thing you caught was a painted turtle and, like, <laughs> I remember that. Want to dig it home and have it, it stuffed. <laughs> oh god no one thing i'll never forget in, in talking about getting things stuffed is when you sh killed the bird or the chipmunk or the bird with yeah. the blowgun and dad told you you were gonna have to eat it for dinner and i was crying at like snots coming out of my nose hey that was an important he lesson it in the microwave that was an important <laughs> lesson though dude yeah i have never killed anything just to kill something never in my life i can honestly say that Besides just dogfish. Maybe, <laughs> maybe dogfish and maybe spiders. Right. That's really it. But like no fish, no animal, no nothing has died without having a purpose. I don't know. Corey and I had quite a field day one night during the tournament. We were killing literally everything. <laughs> it was so bad. Then we ended up catching two seals that night on Rock yeah. Hill. They did not kill the seals. We did not kill <laughs> the seals. We did not club the seals. No seals are hurt. Totally. this podcast. <laughs> Oh, that's hysterical, dude! I think you should. I think you need to tell 
come full circle on that whole seal deal during the tournament. I think I'm not even gonna really go into it. I think I think the funniest part of that whole tournament was South Shore tuna tournament. South Shore tuna tournament. You could stay overnight out there tuna fishing, and we stayed overnight in in our Holland, which is not an overnight boat with two charter guys. There were uh, ten people on the boat. No, there weren't. No, it was three guys. It me, was three. Corey, and my dad. So six. Oh, okay. There was six people on the boat. It looks like on ten a boat, people. basically one on a bump. canoe, basically, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> like it was like one in the morning and they're like falling asleep standing up <laughs> and dad kind of looks over and he goes you know fishing at night kind of makes me a little horny <laughs> and the guys were like you know they laughed at first and then dad didn't laugh and they were like what the fuck get me off this boat immediately uh that was the one of the funniest things that was tell the seal and then, uh, I love this was this like part. probably two three in the morning Everyone's asleep besides Corey and I, and Corey was chumming. I think we were like set up east of the bank or something so we wouldn't get many dogfish. And uh, we we're just chumming like anything we could catch, basically. That's Co- why you were killing That's everybody. why we were like, I think we killed a couple blue sharks and like we were just getting <laughs> like chumming every Chumming everything. It was bad. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, like the rod goes off and like. It took line, probably 10 feet of line, like really fast. And then it was a slow trickle of line. And I look over and Cor- uh, Corey's asleep, like with the chunk, chum ladle in his hand, like with a chunk, like about to fall on the deck. And he's got a cigarette in the other hand. And that's like about to light the boat on fire. And uh, I go over and I put the drag up and I come tight. And the, the rod just like doubles over and it just sits there. And like no drag's coming out. And then it got like loose, like we pulled the hook. And I'm like, dude, I think we just had a bite. So I started reeling and reeling and it came tight again. And it did that probably 10 times from like full pressure to loose. Yeah. And then uh, it was quiet. Like we could hear the whales that night. And all of a sudden we heard like, (laughs) and then like it was holding a breath. And Corey and I looked at each other like, what the hell was that? Like, what? (laughs) What was that? Right? So we'd reel a little bit more than we... And this is pitch black, no underwater lights, no like spreader lights that shine on the water. Yeah. Just deck lights basically. And we got this thing all the way to the boat and it was like a I don't know, those seals are probably what, two fifty, three fifty? They're yeah, fat. They're heavy, seal, heavy yeah. seals. And uh, he chewed like right through the leader, but like he came. We didn't know what it was. It was breathing all the way till it got to. <laughs> Dude, the boat. if I heard we something like geeking out <laughs> in the middle of the night. And then right after that, we put another live bluefish on the line and put it out and uh, immediately had a seal eat, eat another bluefish, went under the boat, almost broke the rod in half. Shit show. But that was our self short. The last, I think that was a God bless. God bless that charter, by yeah. the way. And then we caught one in the morning trolling after all that like, chunk that. in like misery. A, like a 55-horrendous night, yeah. And, and we won it on a... Uh, Actually, it was like 72 and a half. Was it? Yeah. Was we brought it, it in to measure it, it and it was like a half inch. Remember, we disqualified ourselves because it was short. It ended up being a wreck fish. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. No, we were just shy. Just shy. Um, right. And we ended up winning. Well, you guys did on our boat. last pogey. Right. That was a great, great tournament. What would you, what would you tell someone that's just trying to get into charter fishing, like? Don't. <laughs> no, on, <laughs> honestly, honestly, no. yeah. Honestly. If they they've been recreational or you know a deckhand on a boat for a while and they have some experience and they're like, you know what, I want to get into charter fishing. What's your? What I think there's your... two types of people: people that have money and people that don't. So answer someone, someone in our situation, you know, like basically building their own stuff and like phasing into it and whatever else. What it's like one thing you would recommend to them when starting their charter business anything charter business any kind of business you got to put a hundred percent into it (laughs) (laughs) don't make this hard to edit please You can have the beat, dude. You have the beat. I will. And leave the last two letters. I will. Oh, God. Uh, Seriously, though. uh, Again, stick with your, start with your expertise so that you have uh, good 
results with your charters because if you start taking people out and you don't catch anything and you're making them miserable and it, you know they're just not going to come back so you know it's like start with what you know yeah uh, a lot of guys just go hardcore you've got to be intuitive here. to your charters because what you think you might want to do isn't necessarily what they want to do so you know it's it's Think of your customers. It's it's all about your customers. That's what you're here for is right. your customer service company. You know, a lot of guys can't handle it because they can't be patient enough, can't think of their customers as their boss. They get bossy on their boats and, you know, things like that. And there's, there's nothing worse than going on a charter and then having your captain yell at you all day long. Yeah. You know, you're paying for it, you know. Yeah. You want to go ground fishing and he's trying to talk you into tuna fishing and doesn't let you go ground fishing. That customer's not coming back, you know. So, you know, do what the customer wants. Uh, Double, triple check before the charter itself, if you can. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I don't change last minute, but. You know, you have to do a, a certain bit of collecting your deposits, but uh, generally we do it like a hotel. We just take credit information. I'd say maybe twice a year I get a cancellation where I wasn't able to collect a deposit. But uh, because we don't require 50% down and things like that, we get a lot of more people booking trips. Yeah. You know, uh, they want that option to be able to get out if they have to, you know. The same way hotels do it, you know. They don't make you pay for your hotel room before you got there. They, you know, that type of thing. Uh, but I mean, mainly stick to what you know. You know, don't, you know, try to, like, be super impressive and, you know, be yourself and treat your customers right. One thing, one thing that I, I mean, it's just your personality, but <clears throat> you always have like this, like sequence of clean to triple X jokes that you tell, you tell in the morning. Like you tell the clean joke, you see if you get a laugh. You work your way. And then you work your way to like the PG 13 joke. And then if you get a laugh and feedback, like he tells a dirtier joke. Then he's in his... Hit him with triple X. <laughs> yeah. He hits him with triple X immediately. <laughs> immediately. Well, my thing too, which, you know, especially a lot of like wealthy people that come Business out... Businessmen, corporate Yeah, guys. they're constantly treated like Mr. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so. I try to treat everybody like normal people. And again, if you got something wrong with you, I'm probably going to pick on you because of it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, you know... You know just the way I am, you know, it's like, if it's obvious, then we're making fun of it. Mole, mole, mole. I'm not disrespectful. No, you no, know, no. It's, uh, you know, some of the oldest clients that we have, and, uh, you know, they like the fact that they come on the boat and they get a ration of shit, and they can give a ration of shit, and, you know, be a manly, you know, pick on each other kind yeah. of thing you know that's uh, that's one thing i admire about like i feel like that's one good telltale of a solid business and someone who's really good at their craft is like they can mess around and have a good time and you're but in the back you can fish. see them calculating whatever they're good at like in the back of their head like yeah you're telling some dirty joke but like i'm also aware that the down rod is the current's picking up and I probably need to add a little bit of lead to it. You know, like right. stuff like that, like being able to make you, it. You have to be able to do both. It's called in, intuitiveness. Yeah. I don't even know it, if that's a word, but that's intuition. Is it called intuition? Intuition. Intuitiveness. Intuitiveness. It's my education for you. No, it's such a good point, though. You're going to find one of those in there at some point. I'm leaving them in. I don't care. It's a couple I'll cut out, but I think if you leave the first letter, bleep it out and leave just the last two. Well, the thing is, I'm just randomly saying it, so they won't. You just turn his mic a little bit towards his mouth, a little. Turn my mic. Test, test. <laughs> um, we need to hear a couple of good charter. Yeah, stories. I have two charter stories in mind. Can you tell the wiring hardest noodle story real quick? 
the wiring harness story? With Guapo. Oh, the fat lady? <laughs> Tell that one first. <laughs> well. Start to finish. We used to use like a strap-on wire harness that like, you know, had the over the shoulder, around the belt, all that. And one day we had this extremely large woman and uh, they were trying to put her in the harness. And she finally got in, but it looked like, you know those pork roasts you buy with the ropes tied around them that like bulging all over the place? And by the time she finished fighting the fish, the harness was up over her head. Her boobs were below her knees. There was more fat rolling out of there than I could imagine. And uh, it was pretty funny. Wait, but, uh, was that the same one that took a massive dump in the toilet? No, that was that was one. That was another one. Tell she was that. actually like a small woman, kind of cute. And uh, <laughs> Jonathan had the eyes for her, and she went down to use the bathroom. And uh, when she came up, I realized she didn't flush the toilet because you can hear it when someone flushes it. So I figured I'd go down and flush the toilet. <laughs> So I go down, the lid was down. When I lifted the lid, there was a turd in the toilet so big that when she put the seat down, it flattened the top of the turd. And I just never imagined anything like that coming out of a girl the size of this girl. uh, It was pretty funny. Then I made Jonathan go clean it up. (laughs) Oh, my God, dude. I I love that freaking story. Holy shit. What about the wiring harness story? The oh my story. Oh my. When it was the guy that Not had... wiring harness. The wire... The, yeah, the wire... There's ramen in the wiring harness. It's oh, part ramen of the joke. noodles. When Jonathan... The puke poop the, one. The puke poop when his mate's bag got destroyed. Oh, that guy. <laughs> that was Hurricane Harry's kid. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we had a customer that... Uh, Came down, and he was seasick in the morning a little bit, and then uh, he started walking through the cabin like he was going down below. I asked him where he's going. He said he had to go to the bathroom. I said, go over the side. He's like, no, I got to take a crap. So I was like, oh, boy, okay. So I said, don't spend any time down there. (laughs) So I'm out back with the charter and everything, and then I hear the guy yelling, do you have any paper towels? And I'm like, you can't put paper towels in the toilet. It'll get clogged. He's like, no, no, I need them to clean up. And I'm like, this can't be good. So I started heading towards the cabin, and I'm looking at the front wall, and there was like a big stain all over the front wall, like someone spilled coffee or something all over the wall. And I'm like, what the hell? And then all of a sudden I got the whiff. It was bad freaking crap. And... uh so I get down there, and the guy, the guy had shit all over the walls, all over the bunk, all over Jonathan's clothes. And then the bathroom was full of puke, with, like, puke all over the ceiling, everything, with noodles hanging from the ceiling. And uh, it turned out the guy got down there, uh, had to take a shit, he got down sitting on the toilet, and realized he was going to throw up. So he stood up, spun around to puke in the toilet, and at the same time, shit all over the cabin. <laughs> it was projectile. <laughs> so, it was yeah. projectile. <laughs> so that was probably the nastiest puke thing out there as far as us having to clean up. But Oh, my God. That is fucking unbelievable, dude. I can, I can hear those stories over and over again. Oh. What's your favorite thing about charter fishing? I mean, like, there's guys that, you know, commercial fishermen, wreck fishermen, people that do it for pleasure, pain, <laughs> whatever you're, you're into. Probably just the fact that we get to take people into an environment that they don't get to spend a lot of time in, and most people are excited about going. And it's just, it's a nice day to get up in the morning, go down and have a bunch of excited people and, you know, get out and have all kinds of different cool things happen to them all day. Some people, they might catch a 500-pound tuna in the morning, and then they get into a school of dolphin in the afternoon on the way home, 
And they're talking about the dolphin that they saw more than they're talking about the thousand-pound yeah. tuna that they caught. So I just think they have no you know, references in life to the 500-pound tuna. They don't understand that that's like you don't just go out and just yeah. whammo. There's guys that fish all over the day. world looking for that, right. you know? So I think that's kind of what makes every day different with those people. And I, another thing, I mean, I love it when I get to pick on Asians. <laughs> Oh <laughs> I think I think the coolest part compared to like probably ninety percent of other uh, and the fact that when I take these people out in my boat, right when I take them out of my boat, yeah. I know they're trapped and they can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I don't think we trap people too much. No. Sometimes giant tuna fishing, I feel like oh, we're trapped. We're literally At kidnapping a part people. of the day. I do. Yeah. Like 11 o'clock when you can't do it. Like middle of the tide. And if the tide's at like, you know, three right. and it's like noon and it's like bluebird August, I'm like, oh God. That's the only other thing is that, you know, it, uh, the worst, you would think the worst customer was the guy that showed up late. In reality, the worst customer is the guy that show up like two hours early and want to sit there and watch you get the boat ready in the oh, morning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, like sometimes that starts your day off frustrating. It does. You know, so if you're listening to that, customers, show up on time. Not late, not early. <laughs> we'll time. be ready for you. Don't ever show up before OG's had his coffee and cigarette <laughs> yeah. in the morning. I won't even show up if that's the case. Uh, well, that was good. We've been talking for over an hour. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh. What are your three? What are you? Dude, I'm gonna have to bleep out every single one of those. <laughs> You're gonna sit there and find good spots and go, oh, this is a good conversation. But <laughs> I'm just gonna leave them in and just mark it explicit. I don't even care. Yeah, I'll cut some of them up. So why don't we? Why don't we end on your three rules of fishing? But you can't tell one of them. Which one can I tell? <laughs> I'll let you decide. Uh, okay, rule number one, can't catch them without having a hook in the water. Uh, rule number two is stick with your instincts. And then rule number three is stay the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. Awesome. Thanks, Dad. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Mass Bay Guides and Deep, for providing support for this episode. Uh, we also wanted to thank all the attendees that went to the February 29th Seabros Fishing Social Night. We had a great time, a lot of great feedback um, at the show, after the show, on social media. We're definitely going to try to do a few more of those next year, kind of small scale social nights with a, um, with a workshop incorporated into it. If you haven't already, if you could please go on Apple Podcasts and, and search for the Seabros Fishing Podcast and, and give us a five-star rating so we can, we can keep getting exposure to more fishermen, specifically offshore fisher, fishermen around the world. Um, we'd greatly appreciate that. Um, we appreciate all the feedback that we've got on, on all our previous podcast episodes, and we're going to try to keep as much content coming out to you as possible. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Seabros Fishing. And we're going to put some more details about these episodes, pictures, all that good stuff. And uh, you can also follow our, our charter fishing account at Mass Bay Guides. That's it for today. Appreciate you listening. Everyone stay tight.